This is a Strategist episode 975. My name is Zane Belger. With me as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, we are here. Stephen Carter, we just made a massive earth-shattering announcement. Summarize it for us. Summarize it for the people that have not caught the previous episode. Lay it on them. Well, it starts with us having to pay $650 for my vow renewal. <laughs> and as Let's a result... Let's not the long, lead. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's short, keep moving. Long story short, strategistlive.com takes you right to the Strategist Live show brought to you by the Strategist podcast sponsored by us, the strategists. We are in, baby. We are in. Carter skipping over some details there. Yes, somewhat useful details like this is occurring on April 10th, which is a Sunday. It's the day after the UCP leadership review. In theory, maybe we won't even have results by that based on some of the things. I talked to a a UCP MLA today. He doesn't think there's going to be results. Does not think there'll be results for the live show. Yeah, thanks for selling the live show, Carter. In Calgary. It will happen in the live show. They're going to call us first. That's what I meant to say. Okay. Keep going, Corey. Keep going. You have you have something here. I think you have right. something. You have something. Go ahead. Strategistlive.com. You can purchase tickets to the Strategist's first live show in six years. This is going to be a, uh, an event, a spectacle. It may be the only live show for six years if Stephen Carter doesn't get a $650 deposit back. It's in Calgary. Um, it is uh, got a bar, apparently. Host Does bar. It? Thanks again, Corey. No, there's no host bar. Don't don't make those kind of commitments. No. On your credit card, though. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Zane Velji will be making an appearance. I will be making an appearance. You know why? Because my face, my name, my likeness is on strategistlive.com. Now, that is where you order tickets. Now, one thing that we mentioned in great detail on the previous episode is which website to not go to. And that website, Stephen, is thestrategistlive.com. Now, that website was taken, was it not? It was taken. Very upsetting. Uh, competitors and people making fun of us. It hurts. It hurts when people do that. So really strategistlive.com for your tickets, April 10th, as Corey mentioned. I mean, this is a great value. It's going to be a great show. Uh, you know, Corey said six years since we've done it. Just, you know, come see how we've aged. Uh, come see how we've <laughs> aged and not matured. Uh, it is going to be the same type of show that those who were privileged, I would say, Carter, uh, yeah. Some more than half decade back, we'll get. Uh, we we make it up as we go. This is not pre-recorded stage programming that we just sit there like a DJ, kind of spinning our tracks and greatest hits. No, no, no. We create a new show for you on the stage while all of you sit in seats side by side, facing the same direction. I mean, this is groundbreaking. Huge. Anything else? I, I don't want to go in more detail because we have done that on the previous episode. If, if you listen to 974, you'll get all the details, the background, the context. But we'll leave that there and we'll move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, keep your friends close and keep your enemies running in a leadership race to define whatever the fuck they are as a political party. Guys, I want to talk about the breaking news. No, not the strategist live, Corey. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about... Once again, strategistlive.com. I'm talking about the federal liberals and the NDs have worked on a tentative agreement that, if finalized, would keep Prime Minister Trudeau's government in power until 2025 in exchange for progress on longstanding NDP priorities, i.e. making progress, quote-unquote, on pharmacare and dental care. Uh, The deal worked out by party leadership is still pending the sign-off from NDP MPs, but we're told that the liberal cabinet had an emergency or or special meeting tonight. Carter. Carter. 
when you saw this headline come by, give me your initial thoughts, Corey. I'm going to ask you for the same. What are you thinking when you saw this deal that that the NDs and the Liberals federally tried to get off the ground or some version of this back in November? But now it seems like uh, sources are certainly saying that it's pretty close to the finish line here. Your first thoughts when you heard about this, Carter? Well, I thought it was a pretty good deal for the liberals. I mean, I'm not sure what make progress means, but it's not the same as implement full pharmacare and, and other initiatives, right? So I thought it was a, a interesting phrasing, um, but I, thought, I think it also just kind of formalizes what we all know, and that is that the NDP are not likely to um, to enable a, an election that might put the conservatives into power. So uh, they like this arrangement, um, formalizing their own ability to put some power into this and to give themselves some some more power, as limited as it is, uh, is actually probably a pretty good idea uh, for both the Liberals and the NDP. Corey, your initial thoughts. When you saw this, this headline break a, an hour or so ago, uh, what were you thinking? Or what did you think? Well... Details TBD, and the devil is always in the details for these kinds of things. But my sense is this could be not just win-win, but maybe even win-win-win uh, for the Liberals, NDP, and Conservatives, because the Liberals get stability. They they don't get to just act as a de facto majority government. They get effectively a majority government. The NDP gets some long-standing initiatives, and Jagmeet Singh gets the ability to say and take credit for some of the Liberal policy initiatives, some which were already liberal policies, such as taxes on banks, increasing, you know, that wealth tax. But I can say this was part of the, you know, the deal for support. And the conservatives get to freak out for the next few years without risking the fall of the government in an election they're not ready for. So um, everybody gets a little bit of something here. And of course, the conservatives will talk about this dreadful mm-hmm. liberal NDP coalition. It's not a coalition, but it's probably close enough for, for a lot of, of lay people. Um, and I'm sure they'll be able to fundraise a ton off it, but, um, but ultimately I, I think there's, there's reason based on where every party is right now and what every party is looking for right now that you could say everybody gets out ahead. Carter, if you, if you wanted to extend it, you could almost say it's a win for the block as well, who kind of sit pretty with their seat count, uh, in, in a real sense. Do you agree with Corey's sort of uh, thesis here that this could be a win, 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 uh, even for the conservatives, so to speak? Yeah, I mean the conservatives always want to 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 shake their fists and rattle their you know their little noisemakers about trying to to you know push for a new election and how you know the majority or most Canadians more Canadians wanted the conservative government. Um, they're not in any shape to fight an election. Uh, they'll get through their leadership and then whoever becomes the leader uh, is going to take some time to craft the conservative party in in his or her image. I guess it's just his is right now, but uh, maybe we'll get a female candidate at some point. Um, but this, you know, I think that uh, having the election on the on the fixed cycle um, probably suits everybody's needs. Carter, help me help me uh, message this. Help me message this from the liberal perspective. If you are going out, let's say this gets confirmed tonight by the the NDP. Uh, if you are going out tomorrow morning as the liberals, the governing party, what are you saying? And why are you saying what are you say what you're saying to to justify to promote to spin this as coming from strength, not necessarily weakness? How would you position this to the general public uh, if you're the liberals? Government is about reflecting the will of the people. Uh, the people spoke in the last election and the, and what they asked for 
uh, what the vast majority of, of people asked for. It was a progressive agenda uh, that tackled big issues like pharmacare and other, you know, and other economic issues. They, the vast majority of Canadians want to see action like the action that we achieved last night. This is a, an agreement between two political parties simply to reflect the will of the people. And if you can do that uh, while creating good policy, I think that you're in a great spot. Uh, and this is a great deal for Canada. Corey, is this is this from the NDP perspective a joint statement with the government? What would you advocate if you're in currently in the federal NDP fold and said, okay, we have been touted as being kind of weak with Jagmeet in certain cases, uh, that he's been absent in in some of the big conversations over the last couple of months. How are you messaging this from the NDP perspective, and are you are you doing and advocating for a joint statement with the Liberals from a messaging strategy perspective? Well, that depends on where you want to go, Zane. So one of the things that I think naturally spills out of an agreement like this is, um, is there are there plans for longer term cooperation on some of these things? Is electoral cooperation possible? You mean beyond it's, a minority government? That's, that we that's find correct. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean we're going to run people here, you're going to run people there, and yeah. we're, we're all going to be effectively one party. But we do know that the uh, Trudeau liberals were more interested when we were talking electoral reform about instant runoff or, you know, voting one, two, three, ranking your ballot, if you will, however you want to call it. And the NDP obviously was more interested in something more proportional, which is part of the deal that they ultimately struck with the conservative and, uh, uh, you know, green and, and block members of the committee that, that didn't really go anywhere because, of course, the liberals didn't want it to go anywhere. And um, if that is on and if you've got kind of a longer term play to bring these parties into some sort of harmony, and I don't believe anybody does, but I just want to throw that on the table. Well, then that's going to change how you act in this particular moment. My sense is that's not what they want. And if that's not mm. what they want, what I would recommend is same messaging, parallel statements. So not joint statement, but each party puts out that version of the statement that has their leader quote in prominence. Uh, Steve did a really nice job of framing how that could be sold to the Canadian public in a way that is fairly uh, unobjectionable, which is, hey, look, this percent of the vote plus this percent of the vote equals majority. And so oh. why wouldn't we want to reflect the Canadian population, especially if it leads to good policy? But if you do a joint statement and you say you're going to vote with the government and um, you stand together at this announcement and you've got the flashbulbs going and it's got the picture of the two leaders shaking hands and smiling, you're kind of playing right into the conservative messaging they've already started trumpeting out about a liberal NDP coalition. And if you don't want people to perceive the two parties as the same party, you've got to be mindful of that. And even though these are small things, you've got to take your moments where you really state your autonomy here. And we, we obviously have horror stories about being the junior party in coalitions, including in the UK, uh -huh. with what happened to the Lib Dems. I'm sure those are on the NDP's mind right now. But it is a good opportunity for the NDP as well. They're going to have some substantive policy things they can point to that uh, – Depending on what exactly this is, when we talk about progress on pharmacare and progress on, on universal dental programs and, and a number of other policy planks, could really look quite substantive to, to Canadians. And you've got a really good value proposition there. Now, conservatives will say you vote for one, you get the other. And that's something uh -huh. that I think both of them had to had to contend with as they went into this here. But um, yeah, if if you don't want to play into that, you've got to still carve out your own orbit. Carter, let's let's pause on going to the conservatives just yet. I do want to talk about their messaging. 
But let's talk about strategy for a second. This is not a coalition. Let's be clear from that sense, right? Um, explain to me, you know, from from parliamentary st- standpoint, for our listeners who might not be familiar, the difference between this, which is ultimately a confidence and supply agreement, right, mm-hmm. between the NDP and the Liberals, and and coalition, and and was the latter even possible at this stage, or is that something that only happens when? post-election you're you're, you know forming a cabinet striking government give me give me a sense of that in terms of where this has landed in terms of this agreement or at least we speculate where this has landed well a true coalition government is going to have uh representatives in the government keeping in mind that Mm -hmm. the house of commons isn't the government the government is the cabinet right the government is uh, you know the 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 people who are actually running the administration um or the bureaucracy and those two things often get you know confused in the general public's minds and they think, well, my MP is a member of the government or, or whatever, but your MP is really not a member of the government unless they're in cabinet. Um, and then the, the, you know, the rest is, is kind of uh, just moving shells around, I guess. Um, so without putting an NDP member into cabinet, it's not a coalition. It's an agreement. Um, and it's an agreement that, that is really in the government's favor. They have to give up very little. Corey mentioned earlier that this is seemingly them achieving what is a large, in large part already their stated objectives. So what they give is very little and what the NDP gets is very little. The NDP and the, and the Liberals in turn get a stable government. Well, arguably, it's been a stable government um, Already, and it will continue to be a stable government until the prime minister decides uh, to to seek a new mandate, which I don't think is necessarily p- precluded by this uh, this relatively weak agreement. Uh, Corey, uh, you know, same question to you regarding the coalition. You said this is, you know, uh, not to not to you know steal your words for you, but this is similar. It's not the same in the effectiveness category. Do you feel like it'll be just as effective, perhaps? Well, it depends on what your goals are. So mm. effective is a, is in the eye of the beholder, right? It will be effective, I think, for both parties to keep a little bit of daylight between them, which both seem to think is in their interest. Yeah. And it will be effective in that it will likely still result in the government being propped up as long as they need to uh, and uh, to the next election, presumably in 2025. So that all seems pretty straightforward and pretty good here. What the NDP will, of course, find uh, is that over time, it will be harder and harder for them to to want to necessarily live up to that if this government follows the trajectory of, oh, I don't know, every other government, which is it gets less popular with time. Yeah. And what the liberals will find, if that does not happen to be the case, is it will be more and more tempting to just pull the plug on themselves early and break the deal, as was done in and- British Columbia with the Green Party support recently. So, you know, there there are... You know, in the moment, looks good. Four years is a lifetime in politics. It may not even have the same leader in either party in four years, just depending yeah. on how things go. Carter, we're recording here on Monday night. This this uh, article says that Jagmeet Singh is running this by his MPs, arguably tonight, uh, while we're recording. If you were on that call, Carter... What risks would you ask the leader about? What risks would you ask his political aides about if you are an NDP MP, right? Like, what are you kind of seeing as potential downsides for you? Corey's listed a few of them, right, around trajectories of government and what that looks like. But 
you know, we know that the federal NDP especially um, very you know, they take a lot of pride in their identity. They take a lot of pride in, in, in being independent, the left flank, the moral conscience, so to speak. This agreement uh, probably makes practical sense, but there's probably questions that many of them have. If you're an NDP MP looking at the future of your party, what questions are you asking? What risks do you see, Carter? I think the biggest risk is what the hell does make progress mean? Um, I think that you know, it, You're talking it, about make progress on on pharmacare and and uh, dental care, right? Which uh, was which is what the the article has uh, or the sources say right, are and, the conditions and other and other issues, right? Make progress is incredibly vague. Um, I if I were in the NDP caucus, I'd be asking the leader, uh, what assurances can you give us that this is actually going to be something that is attained, that is something that is achieved, not just something that is spoken about. Um, the NDP has always been at its strongest when it's it's giving its policies. Um, to the liberals, really. I mean, that that tends to be uh, the well. It's the only way that the NDP policies get implemented because the NDP haven't formed government uh, at the federal level. So when the NDP has big issues, it makes sense for them to partner, but it doesn't make sense to give away these issues uh, without actually seeing progress. Um, so if if they're going to give up that pace, then I think that they have the right to say. Um, are we actually achieving uh, these goals that we've set out for ourselves? And and I would be pushing very hard on the uh, pushing very hard on the leader to to tell the Coxes exactly uh, what we've given up and what we've gotten. Corey, if you're an MP in that same meeting tonight, what are you asking your leader and his political strategists regarding risks or, or downsides, uh, perhaps rooted in the party identity, but it doesn't have to be in, in, in that frame? Well, t- two things. Maybe I'll take it from the leader's point of view first here, Zane, sure, if that's sure. okay with you. But one is it's not as though this is an irrevocable support for the government. So if you feel you're not getting the progress that was committed to, you can just pull your support. Right. You can say I'm not getting the things I was committed to. And, you know, we're deep in speculation land and we just don't know the details, but I'm sure we're not the first to think about this. And I'm sure there are milestones worked into the agreement, like a pilot of this program that includes X number of Canadians will be done by this date or will be funded or whatever. Like, I don't even know what they would necessarily be. But for each of these policy things that were gives by the liberals, I'm sure there are some very concrete deliverables behind them that are more about action than outcome. Right. And I'm sure the liberals don't want to go too far too fast. And so I suspect it will be kind of an incrementalism that goes either pharmacare will not include everything and or it will be means tested or uh, you'll have a situation where it's piloted in a certain geography with a willing province. Something like that, I suspect, is going to happen uh, that will make it very concrete. And so I imagine that Jagmeet Singh has the ability to say specifically what they mm. will get rather than this general vague promise of support. If all he has is the general vague promise of support, I do think that's kind of a shitty deal. But I would be surprised if that's actually what's going on here. Even if that were the deal, however, it's easy enough for him to say, yeah, well, if they're not doing it, we can pull the support. Right. Mm. But how do you make a deal like that without having some very clear triggers? And so I imagine those triggers have been considered and built into the deal. You know, Carter, one thing I want to talk about regarding when, when I read this article, maybe let me start here. One of the thoughts I had was, you know, what does the structure of this deal look like? The milestones, the granular details, as we talk about the second thought, and there may be no meat on the bone here, but let me explore it for a second was, is this like this reporting could it fundamentally change the structure of the deal? And what we haven't spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about is what the impact of media leaks or media reporting and sourcing is to ongoing negotiations, right? 
the ink isn't dry here on on this thing. There's still being things approved. I'm kind of wondering from your perspective, when you read this, did you read this as like reporting on a formality that was going to happen? Or or did you kind of read this as like, you know, shit could change here. And because of this reporting that's come out in advance of the ink being dried and all the the rubber stamps being put in, it maybe kind of leads to a broader conversation on on on, on what leaking does or, or what what sourcing and reporting does. And I don't know if anything was leaked here, to be totally clear, to to ongoing negotiations. So, just your thoughts on that, if, based on how you read it. I know that's a very convoluted statement, but I thought I'd just get you to react to that. People form their opinions in the initial reporting. Right. And then it is very difficult to change their opinions after the initial reporting. So and and by people, I mean both the NDP MPs and the liberal MPs, as well as as analysts or general population. Everybody gets that initial headline and the initial headline then forms our general consensus and our general opinions. So if that headline is accurate. If that information is accurate, then our initial response to that information is going to be, you know, stuck there. If it's not accurate, it's still going to be stuck there. And now you've got to move us, right? So if we're the NDP MPs and this isn't actually the deal and what Corey's described with its more consistent benchmarking, with its more, um, you know, well thought through and understood information, um, maybe you know, if, if, if it all depends on what that all looks like, right? So if it's all well articulated and it's all well understood, then, um, you know, the, the, the response in, you know, the response to this information may be negative because people will have to be reassured that it's not just make progress. It's something totally different. So, that's what I'm, you know, I'm always concerned about. That's why people always mm. say in our business, get the information out first, own the narrative, right? Put your narrative out there first, because as soon as your narrative goes out, then that is the one that other people have to try and defeat. So that's, that's the big question here. Whose narrative is this? And is this narrative 100% accurate? Great. Just your reflections on that, just whether it's on the specifics here or just the more general on reporting going out while negotiations are still happening. Uh, I'm sure you've experienced this, seen this happen, uh, probably seen things change because of it. But your just thoughts on that, um, not knowing exactly the specifics here. Yeah. So you're, it, it's sometimes fine, right? As long as everybody is acting with perfect information and everybody is presenting things in a way that uh, both parties would agree with. Where you run into trouble is when one side is saying, hey, we're having these negotiations and they're going this way. And the other side says... That's not at all how I feel the negotiations are going. So as long as the negotiations were managed well and they got to a point where they said, we are going to say these things to our caucus, no surprises is what we're going to communicate. I don't think that there's a ton of risk there. Uh, however, of course, if the liberals have presented this in a bad faith way or in a way that shows that maybe they're not willing or interested in being totally forthright with their caucus, that's a problem internally in the liberal party for sure. But that's also a problem in negotiations because then you can't really trust your counterparty in the same way. And where this could really blow up is if people start using saying things like, is a better deal for us than the NDP, right? Mm-hmm. Because then right. people in the NDP may start feeling the same thing. What I imagine both of them are doing, because there's going to be savvy negotiators on both sides, is saying, this is a win-win deal. The NDP get this, we get this, it's to everybody's benefit. I've signed off on this, but we won't do it without your support as well. And um, 
we just we just don't know enough. And it is a funny one because we're doing an episode right now. It's 10 p.m. Mountain Time, which is the official time zone of Canada, as we all know. As we know. Correct. Correct. On, on Monday, March 21st. By this time tomorrow, I'm sure all of these details will be spilled out. All of these details will be spilled out. Another thing I want to say, though, not surprising the leaks would come from the liberal side first because it's a bigger caucus. I mean, it's as simple as that. Yeah. If, if you considered an equal amount of leaking probability per MP, <laughs> the liberals are a bigger caucus. So we shouldn't read too, too much into the fact we're getting the liberal side first either. Carter, let's talk about that big caucus. If you were in that liberal emergency caucus meeting tonight um, – did you, you just say you, big caucus? I powered right through it. <laughs> you're at the you're at the emergency caucus meeting. They're they're saying that the headline on this is making parliament work. That's what this agreement is being uh, referred to and messaged as. What risks or downside questions are you asking and stress testing uh, the PMO and the prime minister perhaps on on when when this deal is presented to you? Why did we need to do this at all? I mean, we have a stable minority government. Um, realistically, we're in the driver's seat. Why are we reaching out and, and giving the the NDP a victory at all? Um, for the last, uh, you know, two years, two and a half, three years, you know, this has not been an issue. And all of a sudden now we're, we're doing this. Like, why? What's in it? What's in the advantage for us? I mean, this just feels like, uh, we're giving up on some level and, we want to be the party that governs. We don't want to be the the party that makes deals. And this, so this could be, you know, I want to make sure that this isn't eroding any of the power that we have by having the most um, members mm. of parliament. Corey, jump on what Carter said here. And do you have a good answer to that? What does this give us? I know you've you've talked the win, 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 but it's a it's an interesting question. It almost seems like it's bringing the NDP back to life and giving them legitimacy on some of the most leftward things that that even your party has suggested you wanted to do or, or have stolen from the NDP, to be honest, over the years. Your, your thoughts to what Carter's saying? So for sure, people are going to ask that. And I think that's where my point is. You need to stick to the script of your leadership. Mm. You need to say, it's not about advantage. It's about reflecting the will of the people. We both get something we want. And don't take the bait on that, because that's the kind of thing that can poison the deal before the deal has been signed off on. If people start hearing like, yeah, the prime minister said, it's a great deal. We fucked the NDP. They're screwed for a generation because that ding dong Jugmeet Singh agreed to just sell out his party. Right. Can't do it. Can't do it if you want the deal. And uh, especially, you know, we talked about if there's kind of a longer term play here, not saying there is, but that would be really quite poison if that was the case. I actually don't think, however, that that's the biggest argument against doing this deal In, on the liberal side. Yeah. I mean, because that argument's kind of bullshit, uh, you know, political game stuff. That's who wins, who loses. Yeah. I, in a sense, maybe this is just a different version of that, but there's actually the policy rooting that would cause me concern perhaps if i were in the liberals too which is this seems to move us to the left even more certainly going to be painted as moving to the left this seems to vacate the center what are we doing here is this actually wise we're popular the ndp isn't we're becoming more like the ndp why is the political crass version of it the, the more principled one is we believe in moderate government. They believe in more extreme government. We're being now a half extreme government. Why? And I think that is, if I were in the Liberal caucus, where my anxieties would be. And I think that's uh, where a certain group of Liberal MPs will probably be feeling some unease tonight. 
Carter, jump on that. What does this say about the the now right flank of the Liberal Party? And let's just also roll this in one. What do you think this says? Let's just assume this deal goes through. We get details tomorrow. The details may not matter in terms of the politics. What do you think the stability now means to Trudeau's leadership? Um, because this almost seems to be a, a quasi-legacy play to get stability, to get the multi-year, long-horizon legacy things that Trudeau may need to get done, done. What do you think this says about his leadership? And what do you think this says about, to Corey's point, the emergent rightward flank of the Liberal Party, the governing, the natural governing party of Canada? I put that in air quotes. That seems to find a focal point between further to the left, further to the right within that, that liberal parameter. Give me your reactions to, to that. I think this means that he's not long for the leadership. Um, you, I mean, if, really? you've got a, if you've got a minority government uh, losing, losing the government off of your schedule, like, it, it, again, going with our long leadership process, right? So our long leadership process dictates that apparently you can't run a leadership in Canada for less than, uh, what, five and a half, six months, Corey? I mean, everything seems to go for that long. So if you can't run a leadership for less than five and a half or six months, um, that is a tremendously long period of time to be weak. Um, you could lose a confidence vote. You could, you know, how do you how do you hold the government? How do you make keep everybody on track um, with that minority government? This deal theoretically puts a stable government together and enables them to do a um, an actual uh, campaign. So I think that this could be uh, an indication that Trudeau is looking for for the exit and. Uh, the best way to ensure that his government doesn't fall is to leave, you know, to, to leave a legacy that says, you know, we're going to last for four years through this minority period. Corey, jump in here. Yeah, I agree and don't. So I don't think this foreshadows that Justin Trudeau is leaving or that there's going to be a leadership review. I do think this has to do with legacy, though. I think Justin Trudeau, one of the main drivers of this is that he was denied a majority government last election. So this is the next best thing. This is the ersatz majority government that he can create through negotiations with the NDP. I also believe that it might be part of a bigger legacy play, which is why I keep saying, I'm not saying anybody's doing this, but maybe they are. It has been one of those things that people think about a lot, that if the Liberal plus NDP vote was put against the Conservatives, that would be a, a governing party for, for the ages. You know, probably not in the real life for a lot of reasons we can get into or not, as you see fit. Uh, most have to do with how the center shifts around. But maybe he sees this as his play. You know, this is a solidification of the fact that the Liberal Party has become more progressive under Justin Trudeau's leadership, at least on many policy items. You can kind of dispute some of the ways. And uh, maybe he wants to set up something bigger, grander, that in enshrines this, Not don't call it a coalition coalition for the longer term, whether that be through electoral reform or whether that be through some sort of cooperation with the NDP. Carter, you're sitting in that Liberal Emergency Caucus meeting tonight. You're one of the MPs that comes from, let's say, more of the Martin uh, st side of the party, right? You're, you're probably uh, fiscally moderate, even fiscally conservative. You're still socially progressive. What the fuck are you thinking tonight? And what the hell are you thinking about doing about it if you're someone that, let's just say, might have leadership ambitions? We haven't paid for the pandemic. We haven't paid for the downturn. We haven't got the economy going again. And while we're talking about spending more money on dental care and pharmacare, what else are we planning to, to give away? Um, governments are brought down. 
by fiscal irresponsibility, and we're moving in that direction, and it's very disconcerting. Um, we don't need to make these deals. We don't need to have this type of uh, legacy hanging over us. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that we've lost some of the, the key cabinet members and the key people that have been there before. I mean, this is turning into a government of two or three people at max. Uh, and now, you know, the, the number of people that are influencing the prime minister has gone up by one. And that doesn't include another liberal MP. Um, mm. That's not necessarily the direction that we want to be going. So, you know, I, I if I were a, a blue liberal, um, I'd be saying, you know, I, I'm very nervous about the financial commitments that we continue to make, especially when we don't have the economy cooking uh, the way that even the American economy is going. Yeah, Corey, I want to jump into the Conservative Party, and maybe I'll start naturally with Jean Charest. What does his message look like to this coming out, to this being telegraphed and more than likely confirmed in the coming days or weeks? To what Stephen said, as someone who might be a blue liberal, Jean Charest called, called by many the you know try to occupy the more PC lane here, the more traditional conservative lanes here. Does this message differ a lot from what Carter said here that that a a, a blue liberal inside the caucus might say versus Jean Charest who kind of wants to lead the conservative party with the perhaps a tinge of red or, or, or perhaps more of the center uh, as as part of his coalition. Well, you bring up an interesting point, and maybe it's not the point you wanted to dig into, but one of the best things Justin Trudeau has going for him in terms of party unity and not necessarily bleeding those blue Tory or blue liberals somewhere else is that is a giant gap to leap over to join today's mm. conservative party, right? They have really put themselves in a relatively extreme position. And, um, and I suspect that if you had somebody like Jean Charest as the leader of the Conservatives, yeah, they would have trouble keeping their rightward flank together, but it might be much more appealing to some of those blue liberals who, who would never join, for example, even the O'Toole Conservative mm -hmm, Party, mm -hmm. certainly not the Shear Conservative Party, certainly not the Harper Conservative Party. So uh, it's tough to say. Like all, all of this is so very much in flux right now, but if I were Jean Charest, I know I would be using it as a bit of a proof point that the, the center is opening up. The center is opening up and we have a chance to, to f reset this generational change before it occurs. If we allow the liberals to solidify the center and the left through some sort of informal coalition or through any of the changes that I've teased out, the conservative party will be, you know, I'm not saying they'll never win an election again. I've actually always believed that that kind of rhetoric is overblown. The conservatives are the only party that's gotten an outright majority of the vote in mm -hmm. the past, you know, 70 years. But um, it, it certainly stacks the deck against. Carter, talk to me about Charest. You gave me a message for a blue liberal. What would Charest be saying? Would it be that exact same message? What would you tweak? What would you alter for the audience he's trying to win over, but with very different sort of ambitions and goals he's on a very very tight window runway to sell memberships what would he want to say when he sees this tonight um you know the the conservative party is a big you know also believes in a strong social safety net the conservative party was the group that brought in the uh the canada health act for example uh the last major change that we saw to to health in this country um and he was part of that government that that brought that in um but they're also 
for making sure that the uh, the health care that is provided is something that is affordable. Uh, they've always made sure that the health care system uh, doesn't collapse underneath its own weight. Um, you can promise infinite amount of health care, but you can't pay for an infinite amount of health care. And that's what makes the Conservative Party under a Sheree leadership different. Sheree um, balances the social need with the cost. Uh, the liberals don't. I mean, when the, when the liberals start falling in line with the NDP, they have never cared about the cost of a program. That is a serious problem. It's a serious problem for Canadians. It's not a problem of socialism, uh, which is, you know, what Pierre Polyev is uh, screaming about tonight. It's a problem of affordability. It's a problem of, of putting uh, our wants and needs on a sheet of paper and saying, what do we actually need? We need an economy that works before we get into all these social programs uh, that we can't afford. Corey, is socialism the right message for Pierre Polyevre? Like, you know, like, what, 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 I, I, talk to me about, you talked about fundraising. You talked about there's a win in it for them. When we talk about the conservatives, we think about Pierre, at least I do, and I know many do right now as the, the front runner. What is the win for him, and, and what are you messaging Pierre Polyevre right now um, beyond the, the the barking about socialism? Uh, well, I'm sure if I googled socialist communist coalition right now, I would see a number of quotes by many of the people who will blindly support the most right-wing candidates they can find in the Conservative Party. So is that the line? I don't know. Um, I, I think it is basically not a bad strategy to try to say the liberals have left the mainstream here they've mm. they've solidified that they've inked the fact that they are no longer a mainstream political party and uh, a sensible conservative government needs to come back to uh, to right the ship here they'll they'll find an audience for that there's, there's no question that regardless of if you're Pierre Polyev or if you're um, uh, Jean Charest there's frankly there's an audience for that but the um <laughs> there's, there's a few, I have many thoughts, but one of them is that uh, Pierre for prime minister seems a little bit sillier now that the next election's not for like a guaranteed four years. And I do wonder if there's not going to be some sort of recalibration to talk about this coalition as something that kind of denies the will of the people, less mm -hmm. about socialism and more about democracy. Going back to that old, well, the conservatives got a higher percent of the popular vote, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's it relatively – that's why one of the reasons I took my thing, right, saying that the majority of Canadians would have chosen this direction, right, the, between yeah. the NDP plus the Liberals. I think that's the way to defeat that. But I think that, you know, that is still part of it. Running a minority at least is, is democratically more, um, you know, authentic. We're gonna we're, a lot of a lot of ink to be spilled uh, on this topic. We're gonna leave that segment there. Moving on to our next segment. Our next segment: War has rules. Mud wrestling has rules. Politics has no rules. Stephen Carter. We're focusing on Alberta again. Alberta's governing UCP is expecting up to 20,000 people on April 9th. A lot of speculation on whether April 9th happens. As of Sunday, nearly 14,000 people have registered, according to UCP Executive Director. We now go back to what we were talking about last week, guys. The logistics and the legitimacy. The relationship between the logistics of this many people voting and the legitimacy. Stephen Carter, uh, you know, ink to be spilled, ink not yet dry in terms of what the UCP are going to do. 
there's much speculation. Is it more polling stations in Red Deer on April 9th? Is it remote polling stations in Calgary, Edmonton, and other parts of the province on that day, but now also thinking other days, including the entire weekend? Uh, the, the deadline to become a member, to be clear, has ended. You could still register to go for the, the special meeting, the leadership review, but a deadline to be a member has, has elapsed. Stephen Carter, top line, regardless of what the vote change is or the rules change is, does a rule change have distinct uh, winners and losers here in your mind? Let's start there and then we'll dig into what the rule changes could be. But top line, does a rule change at this moment when it's been solidified that you have to be a UCP member, does it have winners or losers? Yes or no? Yeah, it does. It does have winners and losers. Um, you know, you, you'd like to think that it doesn't have winners or losers, that it, it is, you know, it's, it's just you know, all the rules are the same, all the members are the same, making it easier for the, the, the members is in everybody's best interest. But you sold all those new ne- memberships based on a premise. And that central premise was everybody had to go to uh, Red Deer and cast a ballot. That took, that required um, the $100 investment, which was minimal, but the $100 investment plus uh, the time now became a, a much larger piece to get over. How many people would have bought a membership, uh, paid the $100 if they knew that they could vote in, in whatever city they were in, um, or if it was electronic voting? The rules change is going to impact or or give someone the, the edge here. I think the only question is, and, and where I think people have kind of gotten off on the wrong foot here, is trying to say, well, this is obviously who it benefits. I'm not sure um, there is an obvious, this is who it benefits, uh, so much as this is the way that it is. Um, cause it's, it is confusing. Who, who does this benefit? In fact, that, that is a, that is an open question. Corey, is it an open question or is there a clear winner and or loser with the rules change here? Well, I, and the it, rule change is probably going to be an expansion yeah. rather than a contraction, right? So let's well, be clear. Well, for sure. So yeah. look, I mean, the rule change that is being floated out there is potentially multiple days of voting, potentially multiple voting locations. So Calgary, yep. Edmonton, and Red Deer. Um, who it benefits? I, oh, look, I'm of two minds. One is that it is unclear who it benefits because keep in mind the rebel constituencies who brought forward the resolution that the UCP executive largely ignored besides just saying, okay, we'll move this up a little bit of time, uh, asked that this be a vote where people could vote anywhere, you know, that it would be as expansive as possible. So if your lens is, I don't like Jason Kenney and I believe calling for a vote anywhere is to my advantage, plus Jason Kenney's executive says, I do like Jason Kenney and I believe a narrower vote that drags you to Red Deer is to our advantage then it's not necessarily immediately clear to me that expanding the franchise is good for Jason Kenney and bad for everybody else. That said, all warfare is based on asymmetry, and there is a big asymmetry of information here. If one side knew that Mm -hmm. after the membership cutoff, you could vote anywhere, or not anywhere, but in one of the three centers in, in Alberta, and the other side thought you needed to drag people to Red Deer, well, then to Stephen's point, different decisions would be made. Right. Uh, there, there are undoubtedly people in this province who thought, yeah, you know what? 
I'm not going to Red. I would have bought the membership. I would have paid the registration fee, but I'm not going to Red Deer. That's pretty far. And I hear there's already 14,000 people and it's going to be chaos. And I just, I don't hate myself enough to do that. Meanwhile, though, you could have a number of people who are organizing in the Jason Kenny camp when they run into those people saying, well, yeah, that's fair, but just buy a membership. Keep your options open and, and doing that secondary push much more aggressively than the, you know, the anti Kenny camp is potentially doing all of a sudden creating for them a secondary pool that they can then pull votes forward to. And that asymmetry, uh-huh. I think, is both. Let's, if the opportunity, if you want to be cynical about it for Jason Kenney, if he was using this opportunity for the last bit, because let's be clear, they knew for well over a week before that this thing was going to run up the numbers beyond what yep. was sustainable in Red Deer. We talked about it on the pod. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I don't know. What do you say? Like, there's also the reality that, I, I don't know. Carter, like, what do you think? Like, these numbers are not what the Kenny Camp obviously wanted. So it, it cuts kind of back against that the other way, too. I, I continue to be baffled by the numbers, Corey. I mean, they're now talking about 20,000 different people coming into this process. Um, you know, it could have bounced back and forth. Why, If, if it's 20,000 people and Kenny knows he's dead, why is he even pushing a process change? Why isn't he just simply ste- stepping down? Because this could be... You know, if he gets if if he doesn't have identified votes on this, because um, they're calling everybody, they spent you know Friday and Saturday they had every staffer from the ledge making all the calls. They know where they sit right now. If if they're dead, why are they continuing to push? It's a big question for me. Why wouldn't you just let it go? Corey, react to that. Yeah, well, exactly. And so if that's the case. Maybe maybe he feels he's in a better position than from the outside it looks. I will tell you something, just based on the idea that rules may be changed and that there may have been some awareness these rule changes were coming um, and that they're occurring after the membership cutoff. I'm not willing to walk back entirely my sense that Jason Kenney's in a lot of trouble here, but it certainly changes the math for me. Makes me think that this thing might be a might be a much different contest than I was previously thinking. Isn't there a tension for Kenny, though, like between some of the public narratives that people know about him, like some of the generalizations about Kenny? Let me put a couple on the table. And I think this is where the contradictions, perhaps with this leadership review, uh, occur. Number one, he's a warrior. He'll keep fighting, keep fighting all the time. He will ensure that he he's at the battle, blah, blah, blah. He's there. He's a warrior. OK, second one you put on the table, Carter, is that. He does it. He will. He will save face. He's smart enough to know when he's losing. He doesn't want an embarrassment. He knows how to like ultimately exit. He he's savvy enough to make that happen. Doesn't this kind of put both of those things in tension for him? The warrior who never quits versus the guy that you know doesn't want an embarrassment on his hands because he's got enough political sense to know that leaving on that note is isn't uh, isn't wise. Yeah, but on that second one, Zane, I don't actually see a ton of evidence of that in Jason Kenney's career. The, the, there's been times he's oh, been forced to back down, yeah. but it's usually after there's already an awful lot of blood on the floor. Certainly, I would mm. say long, he, he holds to these positions longer than many politicians I've seen. To his credit or to his detriment, he doesn't like to back down, even in the odds of some of those things. One of the things that I want to throw out there before you throw to Carter here is yeah. with all of these process changes – it will, even if everything is run totally above board, even if we all just said, okay, they didn't want to do this. They felt at the last minute after the membership cutoff, they needed to do this. Certainly we were people saying this is going to be nuts in Red Deer and this is absolutely not workable. Even if it's all totally above board, 
this now looks bad, right? Yeah. This, this calls into question the result to come. There's no way that if there's rule changes that they're not bundled with some of the some of the requests of the anti-chemi camp, any anti-chemi camp. Like there's going to have to be third-party third party. auditing. There's going to have to be additional scrutineering and oversight. And even that I don't think is necessarily going to be enough to stop people calling into question this result, but I guess I'll put it there. No matter how you cut it, this is a mess. And so Jason Kenny, let's just say Two weeks ago, we thought maybe Jason Kenny can win clean. Maybe he'll lose clean. Maybe he'll win dirty. Maybe he'll lose dirty, right? Now, it doesn't feel like he w- winning clean is on the agenda. And so that's already not as good for him as what we thought some of his possibilities were a couple of weeks ago. So it's hard to say this is an outright win for Kenny. Uh, and it's hard to say this is an entirely positive situation for Jason Kenny. Carter, how much is this poisoned it, right? There's two L's here. Logistics was one, legitimacy is the other. Give me your sense on legitimacy. To Corey's point, uh, how illegitimate or how will this be called? We talked about it from cynical terms last week, right? From the perspective of this is going to be a shit show. Someone could just point to the logistics. That's not cynical anymore. It seems like that's going to happen regardless, right? That's already part of the script. Scripted for both sides. Whoever loses, right, is going to flip up that script and, and, and talk about it. So talk to me about that, Carter. We calculated it down to two two seconds of vote when we were imagining it to be ten thousand. Now it's something like uh, you know it's one second of vote. Um, so you have to have multiple locations. You can't do this the way it was prescribed in in the you know the notice. So there has to be a brand new process brought in. So my view is legitimacy can be there if you put the proper processes in. Um, last episode we were talking about making sure that. Um, People, uh, you know, like that it was still all held in, in Red Deer. That's now off the table. Again, it's 20,000 people. You're going to have to put this into, I think, every major center. And, uh, you know, that way mm-hmm. you can, you can say we've, we've made it easier for everybody, rural or, or, um, rural or urban. Um, and we're going to have all of these locations. Uh, and this is the, this is the way we're now conducting it. Um, you know, returning officers in each area that are that are neutral, um, scrutineers, the whole nine yards. It all has to happen. Well, right. that, w- that would be a hell of a give uh, to say, okay, we're going to open it up to places outside of the major centers. Like there's going to be a polling place in Grand Prairie and Fort McMurray. Could you imagine Fort McMurray after what went down in this by-election here, right? But it would certainly do a lot to bring legitimacy back to the process. I don't think they can do that, though, I because... It, not if it's close. I mean, that that would just yeah. kind of sign Jason Kenny's death warrant. Corey, do you think uh, yeah, there's any, you chance, want to- any chance they open this up, the membership sales again? That's one of the other asks, so to speak, in addition to the third-party auditor, that if you change the rules, you open up the memberships again. That means you open up the pool of people. What do you think about that? Do you think that could be on the table? Yeah, that- I think I think it could be, and it would probably be super limited, like, okay, it's open for one more day. Uh-huh. The party will always say, we need the time to process the memberships. We need the time to do our work. This was the latest membership cutoff that was possible. That's why we set it then. But however, through great miracles, we found additional resources and we're able to push that, that membership cutoff from Saturday to Wednesday. And we're telling you now on Tuesday. So there is the chance for people who are party faithful, who otherwise would have come, uh, to do so. Like I, I could see that happening. Mm. I could absolutely see that happening. Um, if that happens, that's a bit of a sign of weakness as well, because that will show that they were very worried about the legitimacy. Carter, I have to ask you about this, and it's a bit of a, a, a detour. 
But we've talked on this podcast a while ago about political parties. Are they private clubs or are they democratic institutions to help, uh, you know, pursue and, and, and kind of propel democracy. When you see this from an Albertans perspective, non-UCP member, rules are changing, all that sort of stuff. What do you, what do you kind of think of it from the democracy side of things? Do you kind of just be like, oh, this is a party, let them deal with their shit? Or are you kind of, how are you thinking about this as like a non-party member? I just want to get your thoughts on that before we dive back into, I know the exciting stuff that is the day-to-day action from it. But if we zoom out for a second... Give me that perspective from from uh, your your perch. My thinking's changed, and it changed today. It changed when we started to talk about the fullness of the participation, uh, because the fullness of the participation is such that all of a sudden we're going from, um, you know, this being essentially the delegated leadership review style or the the small group that that passed. Um, past their judgment on Allison Redford and, and Ed Stelmack, this is now more like an actual leadership. Uh, and this does fall into the category of what parties do. I mean, is this democratic? Is it not? This doesn't matter. Parties are allowed to do what parties do. They can change the rules at any time. Um, uh-huh. they, th- that is the joy of being a party instead of being the government. Um, political parties are not designed to be forever. They're not designed to you know, go forever and ever and ever. They are designed instead to be uh, of the moment. And this particular Frankenstein of a party has only been around for a few years. So, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that uh, the ink will barely be dry on the last leadership. Well, the last leadership that was conducted, Jason Kenney still being investigated by the RCMP for voter fraud. So, you know, this could be over before his, the leadership even gets done being investigated. I'm just, I think that this is a good party process and they can do what they need to do, but any party would give their left arm to have two, 20,000 people pay a hundred bucks each just to vote in a process. That's two million bucks. Like they're coming out ahead on this either way, either way. Well, they, they have said that. that they're going to do a rebate back to anybody who purchased, and it will just be cost recovery. So uh, I, it depends. They can easily do things where money is moved to cover certain costs like staff or whatnot and essentially put the party ahead still. But they've made some commitments that will make that a little bit harder to go. It's a private club. It's a public interest. It can be both things. I, mm. I think that's what I would say. We look for these clear lines saying it's one thing or the other, but they just simply don't exist. Even with other private clubs, we can think about. God, with the Rotarians, you can't make that clear line, for crying out loud. Yeah. So th- there is uh, there is a lot of gray you guys there. remember and that show we did for the gyros? Yeah, I was just thinking about the gyros. Yeah, the gyro I mean, show. We, we killed it. Best comedy troupe they've heard in a long time. <laughs> but it was unfortunate they had to call the ambulance on that one guy. For, but it was it was a good show nonetheless. It worked out well. Uh, we're you know what we're we're gonna leave this there because there's so much more to talk about. We're gonna dive into it deeper and when we get clarity, when we have more. But we'll leave that segment there. Move it on to our final segment, our over under and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, I'm gonna start with you. We do the show for you, and the first question I have for you, Stephen Carter, the website URL to purchase tickets for the Strategist Live show. What is it, Stephen Carter? The Strategist Live. No, StrategistLive.com. That is right, Stephen Carter. StrategistLive.com, not the StrategistLive.com. Corey, I'm going to ask you the same question. You may have just heard the interaction between Carter and I, the answer that I gave, but I just want to get, have you have you uh, take your, your shot at it. 
I was paying no attention. What are we talking about here? Well, it's thirty four seventy five for a ticket at strategist.com. Yeah. It's a little bit on the pricey side, but it isn't because nine seventy five of that, Stephen Carter, nine seventy five of that go into arts comments. Art I mean strat- strategistlive.com. Strategist Thank you, Corey. So. I really appreciate it. Uh, Corey, overrated, underrated. Actually, no, let's do this. Give me the scale on what do you think the scale is gonna start on, Corey? Between one to ten, Corey, the risk for the liberals with this potential uh, agreement with the NDP, uh, the risk for the liberals between a scale of 1 to 10. Overrated. Overrated. Uh, Carter, the risk for the liberals on a scale of 1 to 10, what is it on this potential agreement that we may see details as early as tomorrow or this week? I think it's a D- minus in terms of risk, Zane. D-. minus. Thank Carter, overrated, underrated the rules change in the UCP leadership review. Um, it's obviously an A plus. I mean, you have to uh, you have to respond to the real realities on the ground, and they're responding. Corey, over uh, what do you, what do you give into what do you give it? I'm going to ask you because I don't see if you're paying attention. It's tough. I I think that I think that it's Schrodinger's um, leadership review at this point. It could be overrated rule changes or underrated. We need a little bit more reporting of what's happening behind the scenes. For me, the clear trigger is. Did the Kenny campaign or did the pro-Kenny anti-leadership contest campaign Mm. act in a way that made it clear they knew a rule change was coming? If the answer is yes, then underrated because they will have had a bit of a head start on that. And if the answer is no, then overrated. They had to react to a certain situation as it unfolded. Corey, I'm going to stick with you. The live show. I mean, it is happening April 10th. It's a Sunday, 8 p.m. Engineered Air Theater. I mean, it's it's going down. I mean, it is going down. The Strategists present the Strategists Live, brought to you by the Strategists. Tickets, strategistslive.com. Overrated or underrated in your mind? Underrated. I think that we're probably going to have a lot of UCP leadership candidates there. <laughs> Carter, overrated or underrated? The live show. Um, it's going to be uh, underrated. The number already, I've received information from uh, every single political party in Alberta that they will be sending representatives to the live show to make sure that we uh, we pick on them appropriately. What's weird is the Green Party of Alberta is sending a representative. Um, I'm shocked. I didn't even know we had a Green Party of Alberta. We do have VIP seats available for all political party members. It's at the back. Uh, yeah. so you will be you will be getting your seat at the back uh, of of the uh, engineered air theater capacity of 168. It's a limited limited supply of tickets, Carter, for in a limited amount of time to get those tickets and a limited URL strategistlive.com, not the strategistlive.com. <laughs> Carter, <laughs> I'm going to ask you one final question. If you're whispering in Brian Jean's ear tonight, tomorrow morning. About his strategy going for what? What one sentence of advice would you leave Brian Jean with on this Monday evening? I love your red hair, Corey. What advice would you be giving Brian Jean as he fights for his political life? I asked that with a question mark. But what advice would you be giving to him as he deals with a rule change, asks for an external auditor, asks for memberships to be opened up? What are you telling Brian Jean this Monday evening? It's not about you. The more this becomes Jason Kenney versus Brian Jean, the worse it is for Brian Jean. Better to keep Jason Kenney against a perfect conceptual leader that doesn't exist than to have a very concrete individual, a human being with uh, benefit, you know, drawbacks and benefits. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 975 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.